Amen. Well, this reading this evening comes from Acts chapter 2 and verses 38 to 41. Reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his word. This evening, we are continuing our series on growing up, and we're going to be focusing on a very short um, section of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 6, and it is actually this section that is up there now, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands. So we're going to be talking about this washings and uh, also the laying on of hands. But before we get into that, um, just let me pray. Father God, thank you that you've brought us to this place at this time. And thank you, Lord, that we can hear your voice. It is such a blessing to have you love us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the word that we have before us. And as we hear from your word this evening, Lord, speak to us, we pray. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to draw closer to you and to understand what it is you are calling us as individuals to do. And that if there's something for us to do as a people, Lord... Let us be aware of that also, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we approach this passage of Scripture tonight, we need to keep in mind that the author of Hebrews uh, is actually trying or challenging the people to sorry, correct their present position, their present course, and move on from the immaturity that he's challenged them over to a place of maturity. He wants them to build on the foundation of the faith that they know and to grow in that faith and to move on into maturity. And that's the theme and a topic that's repeated all throughout Scripture. And as I said, tonight we'll be specifically looking at these washings or baptisms, if you like, and the laying on of hands as mentioned there. So first and foremost, we're going to look at these baptisms. I left the S off because it is plural, which is quite interesting. And in the NIV, there's a couple of translations and one actually says baptisms and then one... Oh, we're going to have one of those nights, are we? Okay, thank you. One actually says baptisms, and then the first one up there is, it says cleansing rites. That's also the NIV as well. And then the ESV is the one underneath, and it's instructions about washings. And, and what we have to do, what we have a habit of doing when we read through this passage and passages similar like that, we either skip over the fact that it says washings, or we don't actually think about what it's saying. A number of, number of commentators default to say that this is all about the Christian baptism that we know, baptism singular. And so we need to realise that there's more going on than that. And, and uh, 
as I say, you know, even in the translations that do say baptism, it doesn't actually say that. It says baptisms. It is actually a plural thing. So keep in mind, the people who are reading this have a Jewish history. These are people who've converted from Judaism and things like that. And so they are aware of the ritual baptisms. They're aware of that cleansing of jars and plates and utensils for eating and things like that. Also, the bodily rituals of cleansing as well, uh, how they had to wash themselves before doing certain things within the temple and that type of thing. And so they would be keeping that in mind as they approach this passage of Scripture. What we also have to remember, too, is that there were some people who were baptized by John the Baptist. And so when they became Christians, they were baptized again uh, into the Christian faith. So that could be the baptisms that are spoken about here for them. But what is consistent in all methods of baptism, all methods of full immersion of an item, is that it's about a cleansing. It's about a cleaning. And uh, it's this ritual cleansing of people or items or of believers. And so there's this idea of purity linked to each and every one of them. And so our outward sign of baptism, what we do behind this screen when we have our baptismal services, is an indication of what has actually occurred within us. And because this is about growing up, I don't want to skip over this without actually talking about the baptism that we believe in. It's one of the elemental or foundational things of our faith. And I think we need to understand what that's all about. And I think when we look at Scripture, in order to go through the waters of baptism, first and foremost, there has to be this attitude of repentance. There has to be this acknowledgement that we have sinned. Uh, Peter says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness and so this was possibly touched on uh, last week when um, Brendan was it Brendan that spoke last Sunday evening spoke on repentance last week so he possibly touched on that but we need to repent before we can move on our life uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ we have to acknowledge that we were once living a life that wasn't honouring God, that wasn't following him the way that he would have us follow him. And that now we've come to that stage where we recognise and acknowledge our need of him. We ask for his forgiveness and we accept him as our Lord and Saviour. And as soon as we do that, we are called to be baptised. Acts 2.41, so those who received this word, the word of the gospel, were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Acts 8.36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And in each of these cases, these people heard and accepted the gospel message that Jesus Christ was Lord and Saviour. And they accepted their need of him. And they believed. And as soon as they believed, they took the soonest opportunity in order to be baptised. And I think you've heard me say that many times up here. You believe, you get baptised. There's no delay. 
And so there's no delay, there's no special call, there's no attaining a certain level of spirituality, there's no feeling like you're in a certain place with God or anything like that. This is simply a step of obedience to God. And the commission for each and every one of us who are Christians is to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Get them to believe, then baptize them. Again, no delay. And these are the final words of Jesus before he left this earth. He was speaking to all those people who were gathered on that mountain. And they proclaimed this message. And they baptized everyone who believed. And it seems that as we read through scripture, uh, that um, baptism was not negotiable. It was something that was clearly commanded by Paul. And when we look at Acts 10.48, you couldn't get it any clearer than this. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days where he taught them about Jesus. And I want to touch on something also that's been misinterpreted in scripture, I believe. And there's some teach in relation to the passage that we're looking at tonight. Some believe that the baptism that's been spoken about is a baptism of the Spirit, a second baptism. And some people believe that that second baptism is confirmed by speaking in tongues. The first time that this occurred... Oh, sorry... um, And these people actually believe that uh, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. And I'm not sure if you've encountered that, but uh, I had some people who used to come to me on a regular basis and seek um, my counsel and advice uh, from Scripture for them and their life. It went on for quite a lengthy period of time. They came to me once fuming about someone who did not speak in tongues, who they um, thought should have. And then they realised I wasn't saying much, and they asked me if I spoke in tongues. I said no. And they never spoke to me again, never came and saw me again. Apparently, my advice for the years previously was now worthless and uh, they didn't believe that I was a Christian. That is not scriptural. There's nothing in scripture to say that. But the foundation for this belief, I'm going to give a bit of latitude here, is four mentions in scripture. Three of them do actually say that people spoke in tongues. And the first time was when Holy Spirit came in power upon the disciples. That was Acts 2, 4 to 6. And at that time, they were gathered together in one place. And they were praying and seeking uh, what God would have them to do. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout man from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And my belief is that this situation was relatively unique. At this time, people from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And this is when Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they were given the ability to speak in the languages of those people who were gathered there. And I think this was God's timing for that to occur. I think this was God equipping these men to be able to proclaim the gospel message in a powerful way to all who were gathered in that place at that time. And we know that those gathered heard the message in their native tongue. And the result was that 3,000 were added to the church on that day. 
And I believe God continues to do things like this. I believe he continues to equip his saints in such a way that they can carry out the tasks that are assigned to them. And I believe that that can be considered miraculous. I I believe that he empowers people at certain times and in certain ways for whatever task is before them. But the second time that this occurs in scripture is, is the case of Cornelius and his household. And this was the first known event where Gentiles actually came to faith. And again, this is a pretty significant event. This is something that is pretty unique as far as the Jewish believers were concerned. And so these, these Gentiles come to faith. And I think it was one of those things where people would have been wondering, is it the same as what we have? Questions would have been asked whether the Gentiles were really part of the church. I mean, they weren't part of the Jewish church. They could stay in the outer courts, but they weren't allowed right into the temple and things like that. And I believe that God caused the gift of Holy Spirit to come upon the Gentiles in the same way as he did with the disciples. And so as the Spirit came upon those Gentiles, the experience was no different. In fact, it was so obvious that Paul reports the event like this in Acts 10, 45 and 46. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing and speaking in tongues and extolling God. And I believe God did this for the Gentiles so that when the Jews looked at it, they went, Exactly the same things happened. It is the same spirit. We have no reason to reject these men from our church, which is what Jews would have done if they were coming into the temple. So this is another instance. Sorry, and there's another instance in Acts 19 when Paul comes across some disciples who were disciples of John. They hadn't actually converted to being followers of Jesus at that time. So uh, they, they were followers of John the Baptist. They were in Ephesus. And you know what? They'd never even heard of Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that was all about. And so Paul explains to them um, that John was preaching a message that pointed to Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah and that he died upon the cross and that he raised again from the dead. And so they believed and they were baptized and they started speaking in other tongues and they prophesied. And then in Acts 8... There's an account of the apostles going to Samaria and they're laying hands on some people and those people receive Holy Spirit. Now, this is that case where they don't actually say that those guys spoke in tongues. So I'm giving them a little bit of liberty here because the way that they say Holy Spirit fell or had not yet fallen is the same language that is used on those other three occasions where Holy Spirit came and those people spoke in tongues. So let's say we've got four instances recorded in scripture where holy spirit comes and people spoke in tongues it's really only three but we'll give them four and so we're told that we should accept that as normative that's the way it's always happened in scripture and you'll have people say in every instance in scripture where people have been prayed for and where holy spirit comes they speak in tongues has anyone heard that yep it's a load of rubbish there's another 10 instances at least in scripture that refer to Holy Spirit coming upon people, and it does not mention they speak in tongues. That seems normative to me. That seems to be what is regular in what occurs. And so I've given reasons for a couple of these instances above, which I believe is sound. But there's something else we need to consider too, and that's these 10 other examples. And what I want to emphasize is there's only one body. There's only one church. And Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. 
And he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When we believe, we receive as a gift, a free gift from the Lord Jesus Christ, his spirit. And when we become part of the church, we have Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And I believe that's stated quite clearly here and in many other passages of Scripture. And I believe there are people who hinder the work of Holy Spirit in their lives. They hold on to some habitual sin. They do not surrender completely to the Lord. And so Holy Spirit can't work with them as freely as they can with others. And as I've said before, I believe God also anoints people for certain tasks and certain purposes. You know, we have people who go off into the mission field and before they go, we lay hands on them and we pray for them and we commission them for the work that they're about to do. And I know that sometimes those people receive incredible gifts so that they can learn the languages of the places that they're going to. So they know how to interact with people where they've never actually done that before. I know some people are prayed for for a work that they're doing and suddenly they get all this knowledge of how they can go about doing that work. That I believe that's a work of God. And I believe it's unique and individual for that particular task. And so in the case of the, the, the apostles and the disciples, they were given this role of proclaiming the gospel to the known world at the time. And they were given this incredible gift of being able to speak in the languages of those who would hear the message. And so people were added to the church. The second thing we're going to talk about is the laying on of hands. I've got another 10 points I want to cover, so... No, money joking. Sorry. It is, this is it. This is the second point, and that's it. And again, you know, it says, instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. And we need to think about the laying on of hands in context, again, of, of the Jews and those types of things. What happened when one of the fathers was about to die? He would bless his son. His blessing would be passed on to his son. He would lay his hands on him and pray for him. And the peop Jewish people would understand that the laying on of hands was how those blessings were passed. And even if someone was to be empowered or commissioned for a work, or if someone was to be brought into the temple as the high priest or the priest or whatever, they would lay hands on him and they would pray for him. That's exactly how they did things. And there are many instances uh, of the apostles laying hands on people and praying for them. And there's a couple here which are about um, Holy Spirit and that in, in Acts 8, 17. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And on these two occasions, I believe it's Paul praying for the people who have not yet come to faith. It doesn't say that he was praying for them to receive Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that he was praying for them to do anything else. It says that he was praying for them. And as he was praying for them, Holy Spirit came upon them. They received Holy Spirit. And I believe in both these cases, if you have a look, Paul was actually praying that they would believe. Because they were unbelievers at that time. I believe in the case of Ananias praying for Saul to be healed and to receive Holy Spirit, that Jesus did things this way so Saul would know without a doubt that the message he had and the person he had encountered was from Jesus himself. And it was possibly more important to Ananias as well, so that when he spoke about how miraculously Saul had been converted, he could speak with confidence that what he saw was something that Jesus himself had done. But I believe scripture emphasizes 
that anyone who believes receives Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Acts 19.2, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is again about those followers of John the Baptist. And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul obviously believes that anyone who comes to faith calling Jesus Christ Lord and Saviour will receive Holy Spirit. But back to the point that we're trying to make here. Twice Paul lays his hands on people and prays for them and they receive Holy Spirit. But there's a number of other reasons that people have had hands laid on for them. Jesus so beautifully, dearie me. Jesus so beautifully takes these children in his arms. He sits them on his laps. He lays hands on them and he blesses them. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Ananias, as I've already said, reluctantly goes to Saul and he lays his hands on Saul, declaring that Jesus has sent him in order to come and pray for him, that he may reign, regain his sight sorry, and receive Holy Spirit. And I believe that this was part of his healing, part of his renewal. And when Paul is speaking to encourage Timothy, I believe he refers back to when Paul himself prayed for Timothy, commissioning him or ordaining him for the work and ministry which God had set aside for him to do. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Does Paul actually have the power to give any gift to any man? Nope. But he laid hands on Timothy, believing God had a work for him and commissioned him for the work. And now he's telling Timothy to look back on that moment, believing that that was a movement and a work of God. And so the laying on of hands is for a number of reasons. And I personally have been part of the laying on of hands for the commissioning of people, for ministries and mission and Um, when they've been ordained into the ministry. I've also been involved in anointing people with oil and laying on of hands to pray for their healing. And uh, people are healed. I've seen some miraculous healings in in my time. Um, We had a girl in our last church. uh, She had a bad knee. She came to me and she said, Charlie, would you pray for my knee? And she goes, I want you to anoint it with oil, as scripture says. And so we did that. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her and nothing happened. That's up to God. It's not up to me. I just did what scripture told me. And uh, it was a few days later, I got a phone call from this girl. And she said, Charlie, are you at home? I said, yes, I am. She said, can you come out the front of your house? And I was like, um, yeah, okay. And so I walked out the front. She goes, look up the street. And I looked up the street. She was a few hundred meters up the road. And she hung up and ran down the road. Understand what happened? She couldn't walk. And yet here she was running down the road. We have the ability and the power to lay hands on each other, asking God to empower and encourage and equip each and every one of us for the work that we're doing. And I believe all of that's biblically accurate. So what's it mean to us? This is all about the Hebrews being held back, not going on to maturity. So how does that relate to our present situation? I I think we need to ask the question. I was actually going to say, anyone who's not baptised, please stand up, but I'm not going to do that. 
because uh, the intent wasn't to embarrass you. The intent was actually pray for you, that you would find truth, that you would hear God's voice, and that you would respond to that. Because I, I have to be honest, if, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and look, don't say, yeah, but I've got doubts. Don't listen to that. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, your next step's baptism. There's no other option. That's what Scripture says. And, and you know, you, you, you're possibly wondering about how you can move on with God. And we've heard again and again and again from the front, if we're not obedient to God, if we're not obedient to the call he has on your life, if you're not obedient to the basic things he calls you to do, you're not going to move forward. You're not going to find that maturity. And first and foremost, that's baptism, guys. Heard this wonderful story, um, the shims. Is any of the shims here tonight? I was talking to um, Amy Shim and Douglas, and they're talking about uh, their parents, you know, miraculously saved. How awesome is that story in Singapore? And they went back. They had this very rigorous process that you had to go through in order to go from conversion to baptism. And, and it, apparently it's, it, it's quite, quite difficult to get through but praise God uh, Amy's parents got through and they were baptized and as as they were announcing the baptism the pastor in the church said we're not doing this anymore we're just going to baptize people who believe how awesome is that you know and and do you get the same invitation when we're baptizing people there's a baptismal service coming up you know we say if there's anyone who wishes to be baptized please come and see us and uh you know i'm so crazy if it was someone that i was convinced was a christian i'd jump in there fully clothed and do them i mean seriously i'd be so overjoyed but guys don't let this hold you back from being all you can be in christ it's one small step of obedience part of leaving the elementary things behind is about not having to be reminded about that anymore wouldn't it be awesome if someone came to faith and you guys rallied around them and said so when are you going to be baptized wouldn't it be awesome if that was the norm? You know, or, or you're gathered with your friends and say, hey, tell us about your baptismal experience. And someone goes, haven't been there yet. You go, Are you kidding me, man? You've got to do it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were so on board with that, that we're encouraging and spurring each other on to greater works? And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing magical about baptism. There's, there's no holy water back there. There's, uh, generally speaking, I should say, there's no encountering Holy Spirit when that happens, but so many people do. But you can't expect that. You're going to get wet. That's about as far as it goes. And you're identifying with Christ. You're being put to death. You're being buried. And then you're rising to new life with him. It's a public statement of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The other danger we have, and this one really gets me, and I know it's going to tick some people off and I don't care. We have this terrible habit in the church of relying on past experience for our salvation. I, I have to tell you, I hate it when I say to someone, give me a testimony about God in your life. And they go, back in 1983, I gave my life to Jesus. It's like, really? Is that the last time he was in your life? Is that the last time anything happened? Really? Fortunately, young people, most of them know that when I ask about Jesus in their life, I'm asking them about what happened most recently. 
Because that's how our life should be. You know, I always say, you know, we, we have that encounter with Jesus. And it's an awesome encounter. I'm not belittling that, what happened back there. But we have this awesome encounter with Jesus where we suddenly realize our need for him as our Lord and Savior. He imparts his righteousness on us. And I've got to tell you, I was so blown away the night that that happened. I remember it was pouring rain. It was the most beautiful day I've ever had. I think it was cold too. It was out of Woody Point. And, and, and that was the first time I'd encountered Jesus like that. And I'll always remember that as being an awesome day. But I tell you what, that was just the foot in the door. That was my justification. That was being put back into right relationship with Jesus and with God. And then from that day on, there's this whole building of my life with him. And it's me saying each and every day, you know, Lord, I've got to give my life back to you today. It's you and me together, Lord. What are we going to do? And each and every day, I want to build my life. So I was saved when I was justified. This bit in the middle is my sanctification. I am being saved each and every day. I'm put into death myself all the time. People say, you know, Christians always say, we go around, our names are dug because we've got a shovel on our shoulder. We always seem to dig up our dead self. We've got to put it to death continuously. We've got to bury ourselves again. We've got to focus on who Jesus is. So I was saved. I am being saved. And that ultimate time when we stand in glory in God's presence... I will be saved. Death is the final frontier. And it's scary for some people. And mind you, it's beautiful for some people too. The way some people cross from this life to the next is just incredible. But we've got nothing to fear because I was saved, I am being saved, I will be saved when I'm glorified with him in his presence. That's what our Christian life's about. And if you don't understand that, if that's not true for you, come and talk to me. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to call you an idiot. I'm not going to give you a hard time. I'm just going to encourage you to find Jesus in any of those stages and to spend time with him, to grow with him. Are you relying on those conversion experiences? Are you relying on that baptismal experience? We are experiencing his saving grace each and every moment of each and every day. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much that you are a true and living God. I want to thank you so much that our relationship with you is something that just grows and grows. And Lord, we will never know full maturity in our life with you on this earth because every time we think we've come to a certain point, Lord, there is so much more over the horizon. And I thank you, Lord, that's true for me. I thank you for those times when you called me to step up and I stepped up and I thought I did so well and then you drew another line in the sand, Lord, and you drew me on even further. And so, Lord, our lives are changed and we become people who we never would have been on our own, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And, Lord, I think about where I would be if it was not for your grace, for your presence, for your guidance, for your love, which I experienced through you, which I experienced through my Christian brothers and sisters, which I experienced through my wife. And you've placed all those people in my life in order to point me to you. I want to thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, there's people sitting here who haven't had that experience. There's people sitting here who have had that experience. And they want to praise and honour and glorify you too because they know, they know the difference you've made. And Lord, if we have people, I know we have people here who don't know that experience. They haven't had that in their lives. Will you help us? as a people, Lord, to get excited about our life with you, that that'll rub off onto those around us, that they will have this hunger and passion to know more of you, that, Lord, we can sit down together and flick through your word and talk about the great things that you've done in our lives. And, that, Lord, we can be a people 
who when we come here on Sunday, just want to celebrate how amazing you are and the great works you've done. So Lord, quite simply, move amongst us even now, I pray. Challenge people to come forward if that's what you want them to do. And let us talk about faith. Let us talk about living for you. In Jesus' name, amen.